welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Well, welcome back to Fracture Line. Today we're very happy to welcome on Dr. Eddie Stenyum. Uh, he's an infectious disease doctor through Intermountain Healthcare in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, Dr. Stenyum, please uh, give us a little bit about your background, a little bit about yourself and your practice currently. Sure. Yeah, um, I came to Intermountain in 2012. I uh, did my ID training in uh, Atlanta at Emory. And then um, I set up and developed antimicrobial stewardship programs for the Intermountain Healthcare Organization. Did that for about nine years, had a large component of research and um, kind of implementation science, healthcare delivery research focus. And then a large 50% kind of of my time is clinical care as well. And then recently I took on the role as the Senior Medical Director of Medical Specialties um, so I oversee 14 different medical specialties for Intermountain Healthcare, infectious disease being one of them. And then um, I also maintain my uh, ID practice um, at Intermountain Medical Center as well. Can I introduce my guests? Yes, yes, please. I, I am, please I am do. privileged today to be sitting here with two of my favorite people in the world, my son, Drew, Drew. Uh, and, and my nephew, Quentin. They're, uh, Hello, yeah. gentlemen. So they're, they're, they're open. They're fair game for questions, too. I just want you guys to know that. I have some deep geological questions for Drew. And when I think of them and I think of some geological words, yeah. you're my guy. I have a good question for you, Drew. Where is the equator exactly? And can you be east and west of the equator? Just clarify that for us. Well, you can't really go east or west of the equator. You can go up or down in latitudes. See? That answers your question. That's more geography than geology. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> oh, oh, look at that. Trying to make fun of me, and you ended up getting made fun of yourself. Was, You're welcome. All right, all right, all right, all right I'll take it. Dr. Senyum, we uh, we really wanted to have you on to talk about, well, the obvious, COVID, and how it may impact a lot of society's meetings moving forward, and you know, not just the Chest Wall Injury Society's meetings, but prognosticating what do you think is going to happen with this year for uh, societies like ours and others? Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a loaded question, Mark. You know, I've been, been asked to kind of look in my crystal ball a lot of times over the past two years, and um, sometimes I've been right, sometimes I've been wrong, so, you know, take this with a grain of salt. Um, Omicron is, is a different beast. Um, the Omicron variant is very genetically different than the ancestral strain or Delta. It's acting differently. It evades the immune system, prior infection, and also vaccination. Um, and what we're seeing across, you know, countries across the globe is that it's been having a very rapid onset of cases. And that rapid onset of cases is likely due to just having more susceptible people in the population. You know, as compared to Delta, where vaccination and prior infection was protective, Omicron, you know, we're not seeing as much protection in the vaccinated population or in previous infection, but maybe a decrease in severe disease because of some prior immunity. We're already starting to see the trend um, turn in South Africa and in some countries in Europe, particularly um, Germany, Norway. We're starting to see cases turn in London. And so, you know, why do I say that is that it's really had this very fast onset, but it looks like it's also going to have a very fast and quick decline and exit. So if that holds true for the U.S., and that's an if, but if that holds true in the U.S., 
you know, what I think we're going to see is just explosive number of cases here in this next week, next couple weeks, with a peak probably in mid-January, with then a decline in cases as we go through the end of January and into February. Um, hopefully, we'll kind of follow the same trend as some of these other countries in terms of how quick it goes, which is about a month or two, it looks like. If that's the case, we could find ourselves at the end of February with pretty low cases, but a really beat up healthcare system. Um, but then moving into the spring with you know, significantly lower cases with the assumption that we don't have a new variant that we're gonna have to contend with. So, you know, if, if I had to prognosticate, I would say the first third of the year is gonna suck. Um, and then we're gonna do much better as we move into kind of April, May, June. And then hopefully that'll kind of continue in through the fall and the winter of next year. That's my best guess. Eddie, can you explain the phenomena of, of variants to us? I mean, I don't remember Ebola uh, prime or SARS, you know, the second. Why is uh, COVID producing these, these variants and why are they so prevalent? Yeah, so I think there's a, a couple things that goes into this. Um, you know, if we look at the original SARS virus, you know, back, you know, years ago, we didn't see the rapid dissemination of that virus, right? So what we saw is you'd see that that infection was predominantly in the lower respiratory tract. It wasn't until patients got real sick that they were transmissible. And so they may have symptoms for a few days, but then they weren't you know, transmissible until they were actually in the hospital with pneumonia. And so they could be isolated and they can be quarantined and, you know, we could stop that pandemic pretty quickly. You know, now with SARS-CoV-2, you're contagious before you're symptomatic. And so that's the whole reason why we wear masks. It's easily spread. It's got a relatively high r naught, and you've got a very susceptible population. And so you have a respiratory virus that transmits much easier than like Ebola, which is bloodborne, or even a fecal oral contamination. So you've got a very transmissible pathogen, high r naught. you've got a susceptible community. And so you're going to have global distribution of this virus. Um, and viruses mutate, that's just what they do, um, especially ones that we've never been exposed to. And so if we have large-scale replication of SARS-CoV-2, you're going to see mutations. You're going to see viral variants form. I mean, that's the whole reason why we have to think about a global equitable approach to vaccinations. Because, you know, if we don't vaccinate, you know, certain countries and they have just widespread transmission, that is a source of mutation. And that's a support a source of variation. And so we really need to get the globe fully vaccinated so we decrease the amount of transmission which decreases the number of viral mutations and eventually what you know some of these viral experts and kind of computational biologists think is that this is going to turn into a less virulent organism uh, or less virulent pathogen it's just going to be part of our you know viral milieu in respiratory seasons and we'll get vaccinated every year for this, but it's not going to be causing these huge surges and huge um, epidemics. And so I, I think that's kind of the trajectory we're on where you know, you'll get your flu vaccine and you'll get your COVID shot. The COVID shot will be a best guess in terms of what's circulating in the Southern, southern Hemisphere, just like flu is. Um, and you're just going to get that as an annual shot. That's kind of our, our best guess. And that's to try to mitigate and, and, and keep variants from forming. 
So I know in Israel they're talking about second boosters, or a, I guess I should say a fourth shot. Do you think that's likely to happen here in the United States? Yeah, Israel's pulled back a bit on fourth shots, and they're going to be studying that. And it's it's not something that we're going to be going into right now. Is it possible? Yeah, but I think it's too late at this point. Um, you know, for the Omicron variant, I think more likely than you know getting a booster every three six months is that we're going to be getting an annual vaccination as you know SARS-CoV-2 becomes endemic. We'll see what happens with Israel, but right now they're they're pulling back a bit on the fourth shot um, and really going to have actually go in and study it. And you know, I think the the pharmaceutical companies too, especially Pfizer and Moderna, are looking at an Omicron specific vaccination. That gets tough. Like, are you are we going to develop specific vaccines for every different variant? You know, a lot of work's going into that and trying to make that decision of whether or not they're going to go and and manufacture at scale. So, Eddie, we all know that uh, doing your own research is means different things to different people. But how do you do your own research on a daily basis to stay up on the issues that are evolving rapidly and that you have to be an expert on at any moment. Like, you never know when you get called by somebody like Fracture Line to come tell us what to do. What, how do you stay current on a day-to-day basis with this um, evolving science? I mean, to be honest, it's really, really hard. And I would say what makes it even harder is the use of um, pre-print servers. And so MedArchive has been a great source of early research, but it's not peer-reviewed. And just about anybody can post to MedArchive and journalists and media outlets can pick that up and run with it, regardless if it's of sound quality or of any kind of methodological rigor. So one is that's really hard. So not only do you have to keep up with, you know, the literature that's coming out fast and furious in our big journals, it's also trying to stay up with MedArchive and actually sort through what is real and what's not. And then not to mention you know, using resources like Twitter and the like to really kind of capture content coming from, you know, global experts. And so we've got really kind of a whole team of people that does this. Um, We've got, you know, one individual who just does therapeutics. And, you know, Dr. Webb is our our chair of the therapeutics committee, and that's all he does and what he looks looks at. I take all of vaccines and look at vaccinology and study vaccine effectiveness of our, of our vaccines within Intermountain and using the CDC Vision Network. We've got somebody else who works just on the laboratory aspect, and then we have somebody else who just, just does the infection prevention aspect. And so, you know, when I hear somebody say, oh, I do my own research, it just makes me chuckle a little bit in terms of, you know, so you've read some reports on Google is what you've done, um, but you're not actually doing the research that goes into really understanding um, the latest kind of trends in, in SARS-CoV-2. Um, so it's it's been really challenging, Tom, and um, I hope that it slows down here in a little bit because we just, we thought we could maintain the pace initially, but now it's been two years and um, we're all real tired. So, Gary, what is your most interesting interview experience. I know that the national, the networks have interviewed you and you're semi-famous. Of course, now you're going to be really famous. What, oh, uh, yeah. what was the most interesting experience you've had? Um, I wouldn't say it was interesting, but I would say my most disappointing experience, and I'm, I'm going to refrain from saying where this was, is I was, I was asked to come and, and speak to a county council. And this was early in the pandemic. And um, 
it was when we were talking about masks and I, you know, came as a, an expert to speak to the council, I was invited to do so and um, was so harassed by the public that was in that public meeting that, that we, that we had to be escorted out. And, you know, it was, it was the first time that I ever felt <laughs> unsafe at a public speaking engagement. Um, and I was there just to talk about science and medicine and health and that was the most unique experience and the same time most disappointing. Dr. Justinian, we are having um, a hybrid meeting again this year in April. You may have heard a little bit about it. It is um, going to be primarily, exactly, because it's the talk of the town. Um, it is primarily um, in person, we hope, with, with an online component for those that otherwise unable to travel. Um, we are requiring demonstration of vaccine um, and or proof of um, negative COVID test within 24 hours prior to checking in to registration. So we're trying to be as forward thinking as we can. And, and then the facility also requires masks. So I think we're trying to take all the proper precautions that we can, but we're certainly interested in in your thoughts and, and what you think this could look like by the end of April. Yeah, I mean, I would say that if your conference was in January or February, I'd say forget it pull the plug, don't even consider it. That being said, looking at the shape of the epi curves of Omicron, we may very well be on the very, on the tail end of this, you know, by end of February or even, you know, indefinitely by March. That's as long as it continues to behave like it's behaved in, in other countries, particularly in Europe. And so having a conference in, in April is, is actually probably a pretty ideal time given what we know about the Omicron variant. Um, and so, I would say absolutely be thinking about going forward with it. It sounds like you're putting in the levels of protection that are going to be required. I think another difference is going to be in April. There's going to, I'm hoping, um, there should be, you know, significantly more rapid antigen tests available in the United States. And so I think using a combination of mandatory vaccination, masking, um, and then I would also think about you know, daily rapid antigen testing, if that's available, I think you, you stand a pretty good shot of moving forward um, with having a conference in April. You know, that's with the big caveat that, you know, this continues to act like it has in other places. Um, you clearly are going to have to remain flexible and follow the data and listen to experts to determine if it's safe for your participants. But at this point, I would say keep it on the books, have people calendar it, I would make some flight arrangements, you know, get people booking um, because, you know, April may be a, a pretty good month to have it. And um, April in Park City is pretty nice. That is exactly what I think. <laughs> well, I will say to your point, we are extremely flexible on cancellation, you know, uh, to speak to that. We, um, up to a week prior to the event, people can cancel without any penalty or, or any um, surcharge. So I think we're trying to be as flexible as we can, and certainly people can always switch their registration online. So I, I think we're trying to be as um, COVID-friendly as we can be while still trying to maintain as much education as possible. Um, Dr. White, anything else you would add to our summit discussion? Oh, I don't think so. Uh, I think his advice is a good one. Pl let's plan for it, uh, be optimistic. And then uh, if anything, we've learned the last two years, it's how to handle disappointment. And so, you know, the, 
it was unthinkable two years ago that we'd cancel a meeting or change a meeting and people would change their plans. Now it's it's become somewhat routine, and so go for it. <laughs> Eddie, I, I think we've tortured you enough. Thank you so much for, yeah. for joining us on Fracture Line. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, it's great. Dr. White, you got a final stitch? Anybody who knows uh, me and my group, my practice, knows that we've had a, a, a real ch- a challenging week. One of our partners, one of our CWIS stalwarts, wife had a tragic accident. She's alive, but she's struggling. So hearts and prayers, uh, thoughts go out to, to uh, this person. Uh, but uh, on an interesting note, his daughter had a, had their first grandchild, a healthy baby girl last night. So life has an interesting way of coming full circle, doesn't it? So thank you. Sarah. Well, mine is actually a shout out on behalf of the um, NFC East uh, champions, the Dallas Cowboys. Anyone who is you know, likewise a Cowboys fan, Dr. Crisco, I'm just rubbing salt in your wound. Um, you know, I, I know that Dr. Bauman, um, let's see, Dr. Croft, we've got some, we've got some pretty good, uh, Cowboys fans in, in CWIS, myself included. We're just going to take that 56 to seven victory over the Washington football team on Sunday and just put it right in our knapsack as we pack our bags for LA on, on, you know, en route to the Super Bowl. You're welcome. And uh, just just pretty proud of my team. So that's my final stitch for the day. Well, mine is saying thank you to Sarah. She's helping me again. I'm trying to work with my physical therapy team uh, at work and really starting to try to develop an even bigger program than we have here. And again, CWIS is like such a great resource that, um, you know, I, I asked Sarah, hey, can you hook me up with some physical therapists that know the literature, that, you know, are staying current and are part of CWIS. And uh, thank you, Sarah, because it's... It, it really helps me and it helps my patients, so I really I really do appreciate it. My pleasure. Shout out to anyone else who needs some PT help. The, uh, the PT and Rehab Slack channel, we're happy to connect you directly with some PTs, so let us know. Doc, you have any shout outs for any people out there? I've never done a last stitch, so this is this is fun for me. I give I just give a shout out to to Intermountain and maybe all of the healthcare workers in Utah. It's been a really hard two years, but um, what's been super impressive is how the healthcare networks within the state of Utah have come together and partnered and have been, you know, really dedicated to caring for the people in Utah. And it's not something that we've seen in the past to have all the healthcare network leadership come together and work together to, to really improve care for um, our patients here in Utah. And it, it's just been so fun to see kind of that collaboration, that partnership go across healthcare networks within a state. And so, um, Give my shout out to the, the state of Utah. Cheers to that. Very nice. Well, guys, thanks again. I really appreciate it. I'll catch you guys next week. Be safe. Eddie, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks, guys.